What's going on, guys? It's Kenny Buller here, your co-host on the Second Floor Podcast. On the show, we talk about how to survive, how to thrive, and keep the good vibes going in life, business, and in today's case, health. We bring to you the one and only Dr. Sajad Fazel, internationally recognized public health professional who currently, for the past few months now, has been spearheading the research surrounding misinformation on COVID-19. Dr. Sajad is currently working with Alberta Health Services to ensure that this information that we have been consuming over the past few months is accurate. So he digs deep and he looks into information out there and he accurately depicts what's true and what's false. Even though that's what Sajad has been focusing on for the past few months, he has an incredible amount of experience when it comes to public health. Let me just take the time to read to you his bio. Dr. Sajad Fazel has over five plus years of experience working in health policy, research, health promotion, management, communication, and knowledge translation. Now, through that, I just want to share this, guys. On today's episode, you're going to gain a very deep understanding of how as a healthcare worker or a healthcare professional, you can better utilize the information you know on social media in today's day and age. The second thing is we're gonna learn, okay, well, what is accurate information and what is inaccurate information? And based off the research you do, how can you better depict your own opinion from doing the research? We then talk about what are some of the driving forces a human being in today's day and age needs to become a doctor. You know, if you're in the process of going to med school, if you've thought about going to med school, or if you've now finished, what are some of those key aspects that you could learn from someone who is so passionate about the work they do? Now, I want to finish off Dr. Sajad's bio, because there's a lot more to this man than you'll believe. Let's take a look. Currently, Sajad works as a research associate in the Cancer Epidemiology and Prevention Research Department at Alberta Health Services. He is also the research director for Knight's Cabin, an NGO assisting cancer survivors to adopt a healthy lifestyle. Sajad's research focuses on three main areas. One, health promotion and misinformation. Two, cancer prevention. And three, tobacco control. Prior to joining Alberta Health Services, Sajad was a policy researcher for the Canadian Cancer Society where he led the Smoke-Free Campus Initiative. Devoted to science communication, Sajad created the Afia Yako Program, a health promotion initiative that improved the health literacy of over 100,000 Tanzanians. He has been featured in major news outlets including BBC, CBC, IBN, Radio Duce Welle. I hope I said that correctly. Voice of America and Global News Radio. In 2019, Sajad was voted among the top 50 most influential Tanzanians. Wow. Sajad is interested in the intersection of health, policy, and media. He is currently working with a team of researchers across Canada studying COVID-19 misinformation. Well, without further ado, let's dive in, guys. Welcome, everybody, to the Second Floor Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Sajad, 
This is our very first Zoom call we are doing, uh, especially being prevalent with the times with the coronavirus and uh, everything else, especially with Sajad and I being in different cities. We're so glad that we have Zoom and uh, technology to thank for to allow this to happen. So without further ado, welcome Dr. Sajad to the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate being here. No problem. So what we're going to do, Dr. Sajad, is to begin with, we have a lot of fun topics to talk about. I want to first take the time for you to explain a little bit about your background, your story, and uh, how you came about to, to become a doctor in uh, Canada here. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, so it's been quite a journey. Um, it's been a journey that has taken me through uh, three continents. Um, so I'm originally from Tanzania, East Africa. That's where I was born and raised. Um, I got into the health field because uh, my father suffers from type 1 diabetes and seeing how he has to overcome the challenges of living uh, uh, and with this disease, um, all the way from his diet to when he gets angry or upset because his sugar is imbalanced, um, all the way to he has to con make sure he continues a certain level of exercise um, and he can't have certain foods. He can't have maybe ice cream. Of course, at that time, there was no diet ice cream. Nowadays, all these options are there. But still, um, the cost of the disease, so he, has, he takes insulin twice a day, so having to buy that. Um, the access to medication and good service. So seeing all those challenges uh, motivated me to get into the healthcare field, as well as seeing how many other vulnerable people were actually suffering from this disease. So I decided to study uh, clinical pharmacy. Um, so I studied the doctor of pharmacy from Manipal University in India. Nice. Um, yeah, and it was, a, it was a good experience. I got to learn a lot. I got to experience a new culture, um, a new country. Um, although I'm uh, by descent, I'm Indian, but I've lived in Tanzania my whole life, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the language has been uh, different. The foods have been slightly uh, uh, different because we have a um, mixture of uh, influences in our food from different cultures, right? Having lived in Tanzania. And so um, I finished my studies over there. Uh, it took six years. Uh, it was a bachelor and master's combined, came back to Tanzania, worked, did my internship. And during that time, I noticed that non-communicable diseases, so diabetes, heart disease, cancer, were rising in the country. And I was like, well, we know that we can prevent these diseases by lifestyle modification, by having a good balanced diet, by exercising, by reducing smoking and stress. Um, and so there wasn't much work done in terms of health education. And educating the public about these diseases, um, the government and the NGOs were more focused on the infectious diseases, which are endemic in Tanzania, malaria, HIV, tuberculosis, which rightfully so, they were doing that. So I decided to use uh, social media, uh, which by that time, it was only used for uh, celebrity gossip and things like that. I decided to use social media for uh, uh, educating people on lifestyle modification and how to prevent chronic diseases. Um, so the initiative was mostly on Twitter and it started slowly by me just sharing health tips and then it became a regular session. So every uh, Tuesday, I would have a session where I would educate people using the local Swahili language on, the, on various diseases. So I would start with what the disease is, what are the symptoms, how do you get it, how do you prevent from it. So basically just a general increasing health literacy, right? Now, a lot of people ask me, why social media? And the thing is, because social media, first of all, is a wider reach. I can have a conference in a city 
or a workshop, but I'm marketing to people outside in other cities, number one. And uh, number two, the cost is very low in terms of in terms of disseminating information on social media, right? Anyone yeah. can do. And the third is because in Tanzania, the internet became very inexpensive um, and there was a large influx of uh, cheap and easy, easy to use, easy to buy um, and accessible uh, mobile phones. So they were so basically the number of users who are online increased drastically over the years and is continuing to increase. So I was like, this is a right opportunity uh, to use that to bring some positive change and impact. And so exactly that's what happened. Um, the program was well received. It got some media attention. And then I went on to do some television shows, radio shows. Um, and then while I was doing that, I realized that the field that I'm working in is public health and that I'm so interested in it. Um, and so I decided to continue uh, with my studies and did the Master of Public Health from Western University. And that's how I ended wow. up in Canada. There you go. That's yeah. awesome. It, it sounds to me like what you did, Dr. Sajad, is you, you took something that, in a sense, was personally related in your family, which spearheaded your, your passion to become a doctor in the first place. And then you started noticing where the attention was being shifted towards right? From certain diseases that Tanzania was completely focusing on to chronic diseases, which not enough conversation was being done on, not enough research was being done on. And I love how you combined the element of taking something that isn't necessarily the focus with the element of technology and using that to your advantage to make sure that you can be the voice and the knowledge associated with how to make that better. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I want to take the time to actually focus on one of our topics being about, you know, how advantageous social media is for individuals in the healthcare space. You know, for someone such as a doctor who, you know, you, you've put in years into your practice to get to your point. And I'm sure a lot of doctors feel like once they've done all of that, they then receive their designation, their placement, their residency. And then from that point forward, they specialize and they focus on that. You have done that, but you've also taken liberty at your own will and your own time to become a voice online. And why don't you just share some of the advantages and, and maybe just some of the opportunities you've gained from doing that, from taking the extra opportunity and initiative, initiative to be online so other doctors or even other healthcare specialists out there can recognize that there's some validity and some importance behind allowing yourself to express what you need to express online. Yeah, no, and you raise a very important point. Um, there are several health professionals who are reluctant in terms of going online. You know, they're worried. Um, how is it going to look? How is my employer going to see it? And while there are challenges that can be easily addressed, I think there is a role for uh, social media online as proven by the program that I ran. Um, and it's more relevant even today with all this misinformation going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, with all this COVID-19 infodemic and misinformation, you see it and fake news, you see it even more that there is a need for having credible voices give accurate information online because this is how people get information from these days. So true. A lot of people go, okay, well, who said that? Well, what are they known for? Right? These things come to mind. Do they have letters behind their name? It's like, we can't help but as a society now, you know, look at things that way. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. Um, and I think... First of all, when you get online, the first thought is to understand what's your aim? What's your focus? What are you trying to achieve and what's the end goal, right? I think that's the first thing to keep in mind. 
So when I did the Afia Yako, the health session, this was the name of the program, because I identified a need that non-communicable disease is arising, there is no health education, this is how I'm gonna address it, right? So keeping that in mind would be important. Um, having a, a presence online um, has a lot of things to do with it. So first of all, you need to make sure you have that goal and focus, you understand what's the niche or area you'd be discussing on, and you could just say, okay, I just generally wanna share accurate information or my opinions and thoughts on the health of the system or on how, on how health equity is in the community. So things like that. Um, and I think some of the advantageous things is that, first of all, you get to connect with like-minded professionals. Um, and there is nothing good to, to gain more knowledge from other counterparts and even people of different fields. So I've connected with various politicians, with various uh, community leaders, activists online, and getting to learn from them and even connect with them and see how we can work together. Uh, similarly, uh, social media has helped me connect more with uh, those people who are suffering from various diseases and don't have a way of getting education and information, right? Um, and oftentimes you will see that social media allows people to be more open and free. So I've seen that a person would be more open to talk about uh, uh, diseases or conditions that are stigmatized in their community. They'll be more open to talk about it online then it's going to the doctor's office to talk about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, obviously, you have to be careful. There is privacy issues over there. And you, while, while you cannot necessarily or you shouldn't uh, talk about a person's direct problem and sort of you, you can't give prescriptions or things like that uh, through, through social media, but you can definitely address questions about a particular topic. So for example, when, 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 uh, the, when, when somebody has a question about, oh, a fear of certain stigma or somebody has a question about, oh, what do I do in terms of this, uh, uh, I heard this online or I did this or, or I found this online, is this true? Things like that you can, you can work with. You can address misinformation, you can spread accurate information as well. So yeah. general things like that can be addressed. Um, similarly, you will see that it allows you to connect with various people and open up more opportunities. So personally, I got invited to talk to some conferences because people found me online. I got to work with certain media outlets, including here in Canada on COVID-19 misinformation yeah. because those journalists found me online and so, oh, I'm advocating um, and I'm educating people about COVID-19 misinformation. So they were like, why don't we also um, have him on to discuss this topic? So it does open up various opportunities for you. Um, and it is a place where you can make connections, interact and network with people. It's a very good tool. It's just how you use it. I've seen people say that, oh, social media is bad. You get addicted. You know, there's, there is that side of it too. But, but I always say it's just like any other thing. It's just like any other tool. You can use a knife to chop onions and make a nice biryani. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> a knife to also stab someone. It's a no, tool. I love that. That's very true. And that's why I want to make it aware that it's, it's important to see how you're using social media, right? I mean, the biggest, I find, discrepancy people in the healthcare field find is they don't want to display or express information where they feel like they're not allowed to, right? I know there's the element of, you know, a lot of registered nurses, a lot of doctors who make an oath to say that there's information I know that I need to be very well aware of how I address it, first of all, on a one-on-one -on -one basis to clientele or patients, but then second of all, of what you say publicly, right? And I know I find that that, whether you call it a law or some protocol to follow in the healthcare system, 
has slightly been changed during COVID because I saw a lot of healthcare workers express how serious this really is by going online and expressing certain stories without mentioning any names of people who are getting severely hurt by the virus, people who are dying. And just being aware of, in a way, from your suggestion, how does one know when is it too much information or, or when are they allowed to express certain things online to feel like that they're still following that protocol, if that still exists right now? Yeah, you're right. And it is a challenge. And rightfully so, you mentioned it is a challenge. I think it depends on, 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 on being careful in how you use social media. So a couple of things. One is that you don't talk about a patient's case directly right you, you you don't have you don't mention any identifying information right no identifying information no talking about a case where somebody can actually identify this person or go back and trace none of that stuff yeah. you can talk about generally what you see um, um, and what you found out now when it comes to that you have to also be careful when it comes to criticizing right um, because a lot of times when maybe somebody will say Oh, uh, if a, if a, if a, if a, if a health professional say, oh, I, I don't have PPEs, and then it's it's very clear which institution they are from. Well, <laughs> then it's like, oh, this institution doesn't give you PPE. So I think there What's is the a PPE. Sorry, uh, personal protective equipment, right? The masks and gloves. Um, and, and so I think it, it depends on 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 how on how on how you you use social media. So I, I always go with this rule of thumb: is that use constructive criticism. Um, and be surgical with criticism. And I think this applies to every field. If you want to criticize an institution, an organization, the government, a leader, or anyone for that matter, be surgical. Exactly to the point. This was the issue, and this is what I think was wrong. And if possible, this is what I believe the solution is, or this is where we need to start. I have debated with uh, 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 health leaders, including some ministers and deputy ministers um, uh, of health during my time uh, in various countries, <laughs> and 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 it's never uh, ended up in a, in a, in, a, in a negative uh, argument because I'm very surgical at what I'm talking about. This is the issue. You don't use personal attacks. You oh. go down the issue. This is the issue. This is what's wrong. This is my opinion, and this is what I think needs to be done. And this way, everyone understands that what you are trying to put out, and even the person you are criticizing knows that this is a constructive criticism. So I think we should stay away from personal attacks. We should stay away from just uh, um, using language that has no benefit. And at the end of the day, think of this. When you are putting anything outside online, are you putting something that's actually beneficial to the world? Are you adding value to anyone? Because the person reading it is taking time out of his life to read that, to look at that, to follow you. Are you actually, you know, um, making sure that you are giving them something of value? A lot of people just put on, come online and say, oh, today I ate this, tomorrow I ate this. You know, if you're not talking about a balanced diet or maybe something like that, I'm not saying you can't have fun, but I'm saying if you are using your social media professionally, yes. then make with it professionally and you put out content which is professionally and people would like to hear and at the same time you use it wisely i love that wow there's there's two aspects that i really gained a value from what you said there where number one if you are going to associate yourself as a professional in anything right like if you are going to put 
you know what, Dr. Sajad on your Instagram account, then you're going to be very well aware that, okay, I'm now going to be perceived as a doctor. So anything I am putting up is going to be a value as a doctor's perspective would, because that is how I'm now going to be perceived. I've experienced that wholeheartedly recently, ever since I've, you know, taken my passion for health and wellness and fitness coaching, where now I look at myself online, I have conversations with my friends and they even say, Kenny, you're writing health and fitness coach as the first tag on your Instagram. Are you going to still post personal aspects of your life on your feed? And that got me thinking, I was like, you know what? You're right. Maybe because if I'm willing to do that, every post now is going to be of tremendous value related to health and fitness, right? I have to now tailor it to that particular subject matter. And the second thing you said, Sajad, is very important, I find, because you just, you know, you deconstructed the thought of how well someone can, let's say, express their opinion on an argument. You know, if you're at work and you need to express something, you're frustrated, you're mad, you're angry, emotions come into play. You, you, this even bleeds into our relationships. If you immediately target another individual, say their name, make them feel like it's their fault, things can get heated, right? When in reality, I love how you said use the surgical approach. And I, I want to know if you're willing to share maybe a very particular moment where it was either online or offline and it was very tough. It almost felt like you needed to single someone out, but you use the surgical approach to kind of bring it back to the raw issue to ultimately come to a consensus. Yeah. So there was a moment that was uh, actually somebody asked me this in a podcast, um, uh, in another podcast. Um, they beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry about that though. Um, but, and this stream comes to mind because they actually asked me about it. Um, so I use the surgical method quite, quite a bit. Um, but so Elon Musk, for example, tweeted um, that uh, we need to open, reopen the country, right? And he's been, and this was a couple of three, four weeks ago. And he tweeted uh, quite, quite, quite a few things that, 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 that sort of went against what the public health uh, order was at that time. So my response to that, when I quoted his tweet, was uh, um, it is understandable for people to be frustrated during this time um, due to the uh, lockdown and the public health measures. However, we have to understand the importance of these measures. And then I also spoke about ways that we can you know, self-reflect um, and reduce stress in our lives. I made my point, but I didn't go after him personally. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you see. Similarly, I, I've had other instances where 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 somebody would would say something outrageous, but then I would comment on the issue that they are talking about. I would just leave all that they said um, there, and I would talk about that issue. I was like, well, this issue isn't something that 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 you said that was right, or this is this is what needs to be done, you know. And I think being that way also allows people to understand your perspective and your point of view. Um, and, and, and just one more thing, you know, when we talked about being personal, is it bad to be personal online? No, as in you can share personal stories if you want. I mean, at the end of the day, just know that when somebody follows you or retweets or shares or likes, they are taking time out of their day. They could be following a number of people. There's 7 billion people in this world, right? They could be following anyone else, but they are following you. That means you are adding some value to their life. Now, posting a picture of a potato 
or, or some french fries won't necessarily add that much value than if you actually put something else, right? I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying um, you know your audience. And yeah. after your audience also, empathy. I found empathy one of the biggest factors of being successful online and offline, empathy. Try to understand somebody's perspective. If you don't agree with somebody, understand their perspective though. Learn why they are saying that, where they are coming from. And when you talk to them, make sure you, you, you make it clear that you understand their perspective. When I work with misinformation and addressing and debunking COVID-19 misinformation, I've seen empathy is the biggest tool that I have. Yeah. That when I talk to somebody, I understand, oh, this person says oh, garlic, let's say, cures COVID-19. Why? Well, because they come from a, a cultural society yes. where herbal medications have a big role. So when I have to address it, I have to be uh, cognizant and aware of that. And I think more than ever now with divisive politics, with uh, all sorts of divisions going on, we need empathy. Yeah, wow. No, that is so true. It's, it's a huge testament of understanding, well, why is this person saying this in the first place? What, what place are they coming from? You know, clearly they must feel this way because of what has happened and what, what, actions have happened around them and who is around them, right? Going back to your point about Elon Musk is you did a very good job of, yes, referencing what he said, but you're not attacking him. You're, you're attacking the issue, right? You're bringing it back to that and understanding that, you know what, there's clearly a majority of people, including Elon, that might feel that way. But now what you're going to do is you're going to back that up with points and share, you know what, why we need to change and alter that mindset. And that, that's huge. And I find that's, that's something that not necessarily anyone needs to, and I'll argue this, no one needs to go to school for that. Yes. You know, like at the end of the day, I want people to be aware that when you say this, I, I would argue, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Sajad, where I'm sure it's been pressed like a dozen times and it's been talked about throughout your education process, but you personally have had to believe in that, especially through your system and your belief around empathy. Right. That's something that you share and bring those qualities out as a person. And it clearly shows, you know, the path of, of, of your, your journey and the success you've made along the way. So that, that's a brilliant point you've made. Yeah, I know. And you're right. E education is one thing. Wisdom is another. Yeah. You don't necessarily need education to be wise. Education helps, but you don't need it to be wise. You don't need it to have a good character and good morals. So I think that, that, and that's where you draw the line. And I think you're absolutely right. I, I want to kind of take that as a segue into something that's so related to this, because there's a lot of people that have come across my life now, Sajad, who've either gone through the medical system and become a doctor, they started, and then they said, you know what? No, this isn't for me. Or they're kind of halfway through it right now. Some of them, rightfully so, are loving it. A lot of them, or having a quarter life crisis. And I want to know, like for anyone listening to this, who is in med school, done med school, planning to go to med school from your perspective, what do you think are some human factors or traits or, or anything outside of academics that you really feel like a doctor today in 2020 or a potential soon to be doctor needs to have, or needs to know prior to going into med school in the first place? Yeah, I think, uh, well, that's a very heavy question. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> a lot on the line here. <laughs> a lot on the line. <laughs> Just from uh, your personal experience, right? Yeah. 
there there are there are a number of things that that come to mind one is the inner ability and the inner sort of drive to make a difference um to to to, to make an impact in society so you you're not doing it to chase after money or fame you're doing it because you want to help somebody you want somebody's health and well-being to to be better uh, you want to alleviate their disease and their problems and see them smile right so that drive for change is number one important thing um and if you see anything actually just anything even outside medicine innovation and things like that that all come from a drive to want change right and i believe personally that we are brought onto this earth to make a positive change and in doing so develop ourselves and this is sort of my concept of life um the other thing uh, we spoke about was empathy right trying to understand somebody's perspective somebody's culture that's why you have uh, uh, training about uh, how to interact with people of color how to understand and how to interact with somebody of uh, um an in indigenous origin uh, when they come to a healthcare facility right so understanding those different power dynamics that exist at uh, those different uh, um uh, systemic barriers that are there in society so i think that's very important so that that covers under empathy and understanding um cultural um uh, differences um and the third thing um is when it comes to working hard and being persistent and for me there is nothing more that's going to make you successful than being persistent towards your goal so when i when i finished my uh, studies the master of public health right so that means i had two masters by that time after i finished it i was unemployed for two months here in canada <laughs> so 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 for two months i was applying for jobs i applied to over 110 jobs that's how many resumes and cover letters i sent wow yeah. individual cover letters yes yeah 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 110 um and then finally i got a position um i got a part time position and then after a couple of after a month or two i got a full time position um and ever since it's it's been great i've been working uh with various researchers academicians uh, with the media now so it's been it's 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 been a great journey but that's the thing you have to be persistent you can't give up um and similarly when it comes to educating a patient you have to be persistent you have to be willing to be patient to wait to understand to listen um similarly when it comes to behavior change for health behaviors right it's a slow process um and in general whenever you want to bring change anywhere in the health system or things like this, you see doctors or health professionals say oh but we want this to be better or we want that to be better or we want this way not to be discouraged but to to say that it will happen if i continue um and finally the last thing is being proactive I think you have to be proactive especially now more than ever when you have health professionals are uh, being quiet when they see issues going on right when they see medical malpractice or when they see um systemic barriers within the healthcare system it, it it's bad it's bad so i think yeah. it's important for everyone to be proactive in their own way you don't have to necessarily come on social media and talk about it but within your own institution you could drive for change right and yeah think, you're keeping up with the trends and you're on top of what's happening right now exactly um so i think being up to date being proactive these are some of the qualities that would be nice for future health professionals to have <laughs> i love that no that's awesome that's a you gave a variety of different options there so if even you know the majority of those check off the list i'm sure for any of our listeners who are considering med school they'll be able to determine and and hopefully they'll help out making their decision that much easier when it comes to to really thinking ahead and going full force right 
the the reality here right now, Dr. Sajad, is right now you're spearheading the academic research of, of COVID within your province. Is that correct? Am I saying that correctly? Uh, no. So I'm working with a team of researchers um, and we are studying uh, COVID-19 misinformation. Perfect. So with the ability of studying the misinformation, this is really important to know because we've been living through this uncertainty now uh, for, for many months, pretty much ever since 2020 kicked off, especially by around the February mark. What are some things that you do for, for, for those who can get an idea of knowing how you determine what's true and how you determine what's false and then bringing that message out there? What does that look like? Yeah, okay, that, that's a good point. Um, so the first thing is check the source, right? Who is disseminating this information? And where are they getting it from, right? So you could have a world leader disseminate information, but it's inaccurate. <laughs> we have seen yeah. that. So make sure you see who is disseminating it to see that credibility, but also where are they getting it from, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you see somebody gets, somebody shares a post on either WhatsApp or a group or something, and then they're like, oh, okay, they read it and then they share it on, but they don't check where that, that person who sent it to them got it from, right? It doesn't matter if that person is the leader of a community or even the president of the United States, right? If you don't know where the source is from, it, 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 it sort of hinders your ability to fact check it, right? Unless yes. you're really willing to take it, put it on Google, find where it came from and do all that, it really hinders your ability to see where it came from. So I think I would avoid sharing things like that. The second thing after looking at who sh who's, who's uh, uh, disseminating it and what's the source, does it make logical sense or is it too good to be true? Oftentimes a lot of misinformation that's out there is too good to be true. Yeah. Like, like literally having lemon and ginger will cure COVID-19. Really now. <laughs> Let's use a little common sense. <laughs> yeah, a little common sense over there, you know. We, we, you should try to avoid wishful thinking <laughs> when you're trying to uh, assess whether something is accurate or not, whether it's true or not. And also understand your own personal uh, biases, right? So if, 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 so for example, I come from a, a, an ethnic community, right? So I've been told by grandmother that eating honey is good for your health, right? <laughs> so if I know that type of uh, bias that I have, um, obviously now because I, I'm educated in healthcare, that, that bias is reduced, but, but it is good to understand that when you're looking at information and any information, not even, not only health information, right? To understand your, your own personal bias, right? That, oh, how do I view this? Do I view it from this perspective? Is that true? Or am I just generalizing it? Have I heard all my life that maybe uh, conservatives are all racists? And then, and then I just believe that? Or liberals are all, you know, they, they, they just want regulation? And that's what I believe. Have I actually spoken to somebody who's liberal or a conservative and actually understood what their perspective is? Yeah, that's, that's huge because so many people will read one source and they'll read an element to that and then they'll believe and justify that. Oh, that's everybody, right? One individual did this, that's everybody. And it, it just, it just puts such a sour taste in my mouth to know. And that's why I think part two of that from what you said is when someone says something, you ask them, where'd you read that? How, who, who was it from? It kind of goes back to what we talked about is credibility in our conversation. But then, okay, well, how many times was that said? 
right? How many other professionals have agreed or have said something similar, right? You're right. And that, that's a thing also. Um, there's a lot of people who misuse the word, do your own research. So there are people who say, oh, health, health professionals or public health says this, right? But do your own research. So people who propagate misinformation, there are people who propagate misinformation about that the earth is flat, okay? I've seen that quite uh, rampant these days, uh, especially in my feeds. I don't know why, but okay. <laughs> um, so you see somebody saying, oh, flat earth, flat earth. And then they say, do your own research. When they say do your own research, they actually mean go online, go to Google, write down flat earth, go see what's up there and say, okay, this is what it is. That is not doing research. Research is when you look at something without cherry picking what, what matches your own agenda, what yes. matches your own bias. See what NASA says. Look at whether the evidence that's given by astronomers, Bill Nye, the science guy, NASA, and all these people actually makes sense compared to what you are hearing from a blog. What is logical? What's the scientific evidence and proof behind it? Not just Googling and saying flat earth and then you get all these conspiracies with some backing of some uh, false agenda or saying, oh, this is this way. Then most of them say, oh, in a science class, well, the science class doesn't determine exactly <laughs> uh, you know, what the world is. NASA and all these astronomers and all these scientists have looked at uh, uh, um, the earth. And this is, this is, I'm still surprised we're debating whether the earth is flat or not. But nonetheless, um, I think, I think you have to understand when you say do your own research or question, but don't just question for the sake of it. Or when somebody tells you an, a view that you oppose, don't just argue for the sake of it. Take a moment, pause, take it in, understand what you're saying, and then fact check it and see is it true or false, right? No matter what it is, it could be somebody's uh, spreading false information. Listen to him and then go back. But this thing where you see online these days, somebody posts something, other guy returns it, returns it. And, and sometimes it's so surprising. You see, within 30 seconds, he rebuttaled an article that would take him minimum five minutes to read. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> he got this off five minutes of an article. To, and it was a keyword search that he or she did that they wanted to have back up what they said. That, that is huge. What, what you're saying is million dollar advice, Sajad. And, and I want everyone to really understand why. Because I always say in my life that similar to the mindset you have for what you want in life, your mind is like a Google search engine. What you tell it will prepare everything you need to be able to do it and take action on it to a degree, right? Obviously you have to, you can't just say, I'm going to become a millionaire. It's going to happen just like that, right? The one part that gets left out of that. And of course the secret and, and law of attraction is okay. Well, now you have to put in the work. You actually have to put in the 1% a day in order to actually get that done. Now, in relation to what you're saying is, what people need to do is they need to understand that whoever they're getting advice from, even if it's Google, search both ends, right? Search, okay, well, what are some of the, let's just look at an example. And I'm going to talk about relationships here because I have a good example behind this. If I got in a fight with my significant other over a particular argument, I am then going to talk about that with, let's say, a friend who's also in a relationship. If I decide to talk with my one friend who's been in a relationship for one year and whatever he ends up telling me, I follow suit with that. Maybe there's more to this puzzle. Maybe what I need to do is why don't I talk with a couple who's been now married for 20 years? Why don't I also talk to a couple who's divorced, but they're still good friends 
And lastly, if I want completely different source, I'm going to talk to a couple who are divorced, but they don't get along anymore. But now what I'm doing is I'm getting all sorts of different sources, as opposed to what I'm sure you're used to. Certain patients go to you, oh, Dr. Sajad, I had 10 people tell me that what you said, it's, it's not really the case. It's actually this, but they're all coming from a very similar perspective, right? And exactly. something that, again, is, is not scientifically related. You could tell I care a lot about relationships and the dynamic of that. Kevin Hart, who I'm sure you know, mm. was talking on Lewis Howe's podcast. And he brought up a very good point. He said that at the time when, again, as bad as a, let's say, thing he did to his current wife where he went out clubbing, he did whatever he needed to do, he got caught for it. At the time, his wife was pregnant with his baby. He said that the number one thing that essentially saved their marriage was obviously his wife going and talking to her friends, getting perspective right? But the thing was that he told Lewis, he said, listen, Lewis, if my wife decided to talk and get advice, and she did just from her friends who are no longer married with their significant others, who are lonely, who have just other, let's say, attributes to their life right now that are factoring into her, obviously feeling like, leave this man and don't be with him. And hundred percent, she rightfully could have done that. No one would have blamed her. But then she also, from Kevin Hart's point, she went to individuals who've been married for a very long time, who said that marriage and relationships in life, it's all up and down, right? I'm not saying that you need to cheat on someone to realize that. Trust me, I was very against with what he did as well. But the fact that she realized that what she has right now, a beautiful family she's going to raise, a man that realized how badly he messed up, they overcame that, you know, due to the fact that she got advice from more than one source. She talked to people who were divorced. She talked to people who've been in a relationship for a long time. And once you do that, similar to what you said, where if you're researching something, if you're so quick to, let's say, talk with your emotion prior to talking with your mind on Facebook, and you're ranting about a particular thing, do your homework, right? It's like the best thing about case studies now is, you know, scientifically based research evidence papers show the statistics, they show the numbers. But at the same time, to add to that, you look at the year the study was done. If something was done in 1997, compare that to what's been done now. And then, you know, cast your judgment. Right. And then we also have, uh, and I think this is where the importance also comes um, in the onus and the responsibility of having health professionals and researchers online. So there is a hierarchy of evidence. So for example, we have systematic reviews, which are studies that look at all these individual cases and randomized control trials, and they summarize the evidence. And that's generally referred to as the best evidence. And then we have a randomized control trials that are blinded. And then you have the observational studies, which are case studies. And so, so I think at the end of the day, um, it's important to increase the science literacy for the public, not health literacy only science literacy of the public so that people can be able to look at something and say whether this is based on evidence or not. So for example, if you look at some of the misinformation out there, they are very tricky. They have some accurate information and then they put up with some falsehood and it's very hard for somebody to decipher that. Um, at the same time, they might quote some animal study and say, well, this works on humans too, <laughs> right? And nobody yeah. Back whether what that study actually said, right? Because somebody's like, Oh, he cited a paper, it must be right, right? 
So that's why I'm saying going back to the source, looking at what people and experts in that field say, and let me repeat this again, experts in that field. Why did I say this? You can't have a, 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 a civil engineer tell you and give you advice about COVID-19. You don't go to the doctor to get advice how to fix your carburetor in the car, do you? Or in- <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, so w- why would you take advice um, about health from, from an engineer or from your friend uh, who is, you know, uh, selling beer at a restaurant? Why? You, you, you take uh, advice from him about other things. You don't yeah. take advice from him about a health issues. So I think we have to understand that. For some reason, everyone feels like they're an expert in health, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point. The moment I love that you said that because rightfully so, who you are and who you identify yourself as, that becomes your specialty and just be very aware of who you're talking to at that time, right? I want to open up a can of worms and um, you're either going to agree or you're going to disagree. And then I'd love to have a conversation around that. This this is going to wrap around our conversation with what's to to come in the future, right? What, What are we going to expect? And a lot of people, a lot of, let's say, from the research I've been doing around the world, there's certain individuals who are stating, you know what, we will certainly go back to how life once was, right? No problem. We're, we're waiting to go back to normal. On the other end, and I don't know if you agree with this end or not, is you know what, ladies and gentlemen, as much as you're getting your hopes up, yes, reopening currently already is happening right in certain cities such as edmonton even you know that's where majority of our audience is from and it already seems like things are opening up however it's not going to be how it once was at least for the next year it's going to be a new normal do you agree or disagree with the fact that there's going to be a very new normal compared to how things were before covid that we are going to have to adjust to so I'm in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> so I'll tell you why. Um, you see, as human beings, unfortunately, history repeats itself, and sometimes we don't learn. Look at world wars, right? We've had World War One, we've had World War Two. We still had an invasion of Iraq, which stated there was WMDs which was later found not to be there, right? And it was found to be an insidious move. What was WMD, sorry? Uh, weapons of mass destruction, right? The reason they went to Iraq. So if you see that, unfortunately, sometimes history repeats itself. Should it? No. No, it shouldn't. Um, we need to learn from our mistakes. When I look at COVID specifically, and in response to your question, I think would we go back to normal in terms of shaking our hands eventually? Yeah. Um, you know, shaking our hands, you know, uh, hugging your colleague and saying a happy birthday or something. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is the way of life. This is how human beings socialize. Um, and there is a whole uh, benefit and aspect of that, right? There are people who are currently uh, suffering from uh, uh, stress and, and depression um, and different episodes of of, of feeling very down and low because of, of not having that interaction. We are um, social beings. So saying to cut out that completely, no. Of course, we have to f- be physical distancing, but I think this is something to understand. Eventually, things would actually go back to 
the normal we understand. However, and this is where I say, I hope, I hope, uh, Kenny, that we learn from our mistakes, that we learn from what COVID-19 teaches us. And if I may, um, there are certain things that COVID-19 highlighted. Uh, so for example, the abuse and the ill treatment of the elderly in certain long-term care homes, right? This is something that has been going on, but COVID-19 sort of put a spotlight on it. And I hope we see reform and change when it comes to this sector. Um, the governments are responsible, so are the various uh, professionals, uh, with, including us health professionals who work in both that space. Second, um, inequities in health and sort of social determinants of health. So those who are of low income, right? Um, uh, we have seen that uh, uh, people, uh, minority communities are affected more uh, in terms of COVID-19. There's been various studies looking at that. So these uh, disparities existed before COVID, during COVID, hopefully not after COVID, right? Mm. I hope we learn that these things that have been highlighted, that have come up again, that we knew, but now has come on the spotlight again, motivates people to, to bring some sort of positive change, right? So this is what I hope for. Now, in terms of the lessons we have learned, and there are some things we did well. One is having health professionals uh, disseminate accurate information online. Wow, it's a good thing having <laughs> health professionals online, isn't it? Yes, true. that's something we have learned that is a good thing that we should continue. Um, the second thing is disseminating accurate information. And this is part of sort of my uh, whole uh, advocacy right now, which is making public health viral, which is making sure that health information is easily accessible, good to share, you know, make something that goes viral, make, make a video that people actually like to share. Yeah, like, it's know, informational, it's educational, you've been doing a good job, you made them really fun. Yes, I, I've seen some of your own podcast videos that are very nice to share, that are easy, that are short, you know, things like that. Um, so do that more in public health. Third thing we have seen, the importance of hand hygiene. How many people pre-COVID-19 were not washing their hands? Unfortunately, now they have started, well, don't stop. Continue washing your hands. You're not only protecting yourself uh, from COVID, but also from numerous other infectious diseases. You know, so continue that. Um, so the, and then the other thing is, how are we making uh, different places accessible, right, during COVID-19? Because so many um, uh, shops and restaurants had to close down. Those who had disabilities, who are facing certain difficulties accessing whatever is left, whatever service is left to access. Again, so does this push us a change to make uh, our cities more accessible uh, to those who are uh, disabled, right? At the same yeah, time, wow, I love that. Right? At the same time, we have seen mental health challenges because of the loss of social interaction and things like that, especially again in long-term care homes. Why don't we motivate a program on campuses where you have young uh, professionals staying uh, uh, as, as a buddy with, uh, with, with, uh, with the elderly, right? That's huge. I love that. And it has happened in other countries. Why don't we have universities in Canada take this as a, as a, as a, as a proactive approach, 100%. right? We offer you housing. I know friends who, have, who, who are from abroad, came to Western University and other universities to study here in Canada, and where they ended up in housing was horrible. One of them was actually told, don't cook your Indian food here because it smells up the whole house. 
horrible, right? Yeah, that's so bad. How can you say that to somebody? That's something they're so used to eating all their life. Yeah, and 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 and, and something like that. And some living conditions are horrible. But if you had this type of program, that would not only help these young professionals, but also help the elderly and and bridge that gap. At the end of the day, we live in a society right now where you have various, you have Gen Z, you have Gen X, you have millennials, you have uh, uh, baby boomers, right? You have all these generations and it has never happened, Kenny, that in, in one time you have all these generations together and that is happening yeah. right now. So, the fa because of course life expectancy has increased. Yeah. Now, because you have that, we need to find a way of bridging um, these various generations, bringing people together and saying, what are our priorities? How do we work together to bring a positive change? Otherwise, even when it comes to voting, everyone's voting for something of their own priority, right? The elderly are looking for Medicare, I mean, farmer care and some positions for the elderly. These, uh, uh, the Gen Z and Gen X uh, uh, are looking for a climate change, right? Why can't we have all of it together? Why can't yeah. we There's an element of no one wins, but if the majority of a certain age category of people vote then okay they will they will get the upper hand in this situation when in reality you're you're doing uh justice for the reality of equality of right. understanding that you know what we can create a society if we preach it from the higher ups from our political structure to understand that you know what why does it feel like from your perspective of elderly that once you're 65 plus you're kind of like oh okay well here's a senior care you can just die and wither here and be forgotten and I know that's not everybody but in a lot of ways sadly unfortunately from from what I've even seen in the research I've done is that's what it appears to be like and I loved your point I know McEwen University for example my university at the point when I was on the ambassador program there was so many volunteering opportunities it's just unfortunate to know that now when you said that not a single one of them from ones that I knew were associated with hey guys let's go to a senior care I mean let's not look back let's look ahead maybe potentially you know aligning ourselves with the university or anyone else just recognizing that you know what we're all going to be 65 plus one day and and you know what what are we setting the expectation now for so that eventually when we get that age it just becomes the norm right instead of oh 65 plus whatever age you are retirement seniors now are talking um again i don't know the statistic but from what i've researched a lot of seniors, they don't even want that life. They want to actually keep working at 65. You know, some of them feel that way where it's like, you know what? We still want to have some sort of active participation in society. And that's why, you know, health and wellness is so important so that they know they have another 30, 45 years to live if, if all works well at this point, right? So it's just a matter of understanding, going back to our point about how COVID has really set ourselves so focused in on the idea that, Guys, if we decide to go one for all and each for all, and we don't handle this together, we're screwed, right? We need, we all do need to come together. And I love how it brings up conversation of what you're talking about, where it's like, we all need to think and be on the same page in order to have COVID be done with, but at the same time, have other measures put in place after seeing what this has done to society. Yes. And I, and I hope as a society, we realize that, that what, one, of the, one of the biggest lessons that COVID has taught us that it is, it is a response of the world, right? Right? 
Um, it, is, it, is, it is getting knowledge from different countries. It is getting knowledge from different cultures. It is different people coming together and working uh, towards, uh, 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 towards a common goal. I mean, if you see, when you look at COVID, you had the people at the grocery stores um, cleaning the carts, right? They are contributing. They are on the front line, right? You have healthcare professionals. They are on the front line. You have uh, uh, emergency services, police and fire who are always on the front line. And they were on the front line doing this case as well of COVID-19, right? You have you have a truck drivers continue delivering food in and out, right? Despite COVID-19, so you as a society you have international medical graduates, right? Who 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 are still waiting to get their license and residency. It's a long process, but who volunteered as well. As a society, we need to come together. It does, and this is the Canada that I know. Doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter which province you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, but we are working together to build a nation where the values that we all believe in, the equity, the, the understanding, um, the, the values of honesty, of having uh, professional and human development, of humanity and human rights comes together. And I hope uh, this is something that uh, that we have learned and we have taken together. And just to just to add up another point, for young people, don't be afraid to go out there and challenge yourself, and challenge your own biases, and challenge your own perspectives, and challenge your own worldview. Don't be afraid to do that. Go outside, seek opportunities to challenge your own worldview. So, for example. We were looking at having a project with the team over here on helping with making uh, certain places in Calgary more accessible. So we, we, I spoke to a colleague of mine and, and uh, his name is Terry um, and he's a polio survivor. And so he's on a wheelchair and he said, why don't I show you the, 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 the challenges, some, some, a glimpse of some of the challenges that those with disabilities faced. So he brought an extra wheelchair he made each of one of us sit on that extra wheelchair wow. and go into the supermarket and get something and come out. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Getting through the door, which is very thin, you have to squeeze yourself. If it's a revolving door, then forget it. Um, if it's a door that you can press and open, it's fine. Some of them have double doors because to make sure that the uh, heat doesn't come out in the winter. But the thing is when you open this door and you enter through a wheelchair, this door opens this way, you can't. Again, that's inaccessible. Makes on it challenging. On the road, the, the pavement are slightly inclined so that the water falls, but when you're in a wheelchair, it slides you to one side. So there are a lot of challenges that we don't normally think about. I didn't think about all that myself, but the perspective and approach we used it was like, let us actually talk to someone and thankful for him to actually open eyes and say, wait a minute, instead of telling you, why don't I show you? So why don't you actually go to and see what, what, what uh, challenges are there in society? And look at the problem, look at the need, and then have your life goal of actually solving something that's actually a problem. Instead of saying, oh, I'm going to Google and see, how do I solve this? Or how do I, no, 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 no. Go experience it, learn. And I think if more of us do this and try to understand each other, we will be a better society. And, you know, whether it's COVID or anything else, we would be better uh, at solving it and addressing it. No, absolutely. All, all I can say after that is Dr. Sajad for president. Like, I mean, that, that's huge, right? And you know, you know why, Dr. Sajad? Because you're, you're addressing the fact that when someone actually needs to know what it feels like to be in someone else's shoes, 
put yourself in that person's shoes, right? I mean, that in and of itself, I mean, you want to know what it's like for someone who unfortunately has been put in a place where they're now in a wheelchair, whether they were born that way or they've, they've now turned their life around. We actually had one guest who's a huge advocate for it, Bean Gill, and she speaks on it. She has an episode with us and she opened up a Ryu Paralysis Recovery Center in Edmonton. And she always talks about the fact that, you know what, people don't understand really what this is like and how difficult it sometimes is to just, you know, walk around and, and, and do what we have to do to go from point A to point B until you actually are in our shoes, right? Yes. And that's, that's very neat that that individual did that exercise to, to oh, yeah. really open up people's eyes, right? And, you know, based off of that, it just goes to show the importance of realizing that even with COVID, if we bring it back to that, as much as right now for the individuals who say, why, why are we not back to normal yet? As much as they either are not seeing the numbers or they're seeing the numbers, that's all they're seeing. They're seeing whether, whether it's in their city or the total death toll or the amount of people who are affected, you don't know it until you actually talk to a doctor or a healthcare worker or someone who's in the grocery store or someone who's in fear of working on the front lines, seeing really how bad it is. And I feel like that really fully encompasses our, our entire conversation where, you know, you don't know or you don't understand until you actually see it for your own self. And if, if you can't see it for your own self, at least imagine what that could be like and know that certain measures have been put in place, not only for your safety, but everybody else around you. Right. It's huge. And, uh, you know, I want to take the time now, Dr. Sujad, to sort of coming to, to, to closer to the end here. I'd love for you to share with us two things. One is actually very much so what we should be, let's say, prepared for in the future. And the next one is sort of just what your day-to-day -day looks like. And number one, Sajad, is, you know, flu season's coming up. And I know a lot of people are worried. Some people are, are scared. They're skeptical. Some people said, oh, you know what, we don't have to worry about it. Is there anything we should be doing in preparation for flu season that's different than what we've done prior to now that, you know, COVID is among us? And, and even though it's, it's now starting to ease out and cities are opening up, uh, do you have any advice that, that would be great for our audience to share outside of what they normally know they should be doing with, you know, washing the hands, still staying very clean and, and just to know what we can do to make sure numbers still stay low around that time? Yeah, so the, 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 so obviously in the winter, then the flu season starts um, and a lot of people have this uh, fear that maybe there'll be a second wave of COVID. I hope not. Um, what's going to happen, we'll have to see. But one of the things um, to make sure you are protected from the flu, and not talking about COVID, not talking about the flu, um, is that the first thing cuts across all, I have to repeat it, and hygiene, right? Um, and, and just be careful about how, when you go outside, how, how you interact, right? If you don't need to touch that rail while climbing a stairs, why touch it, right? If you, if you, if you don't need to touch those uh, um, items in a grocery store you don't need to buy, then why touch it? If you're reading a label, okay, maybe I could say, sure, a different case. But, you know, just for the sake of it, try avoiding touching surfaces just for the sake of it, right? Just to protect you from any disease, that's the number uh, one thing to keep in mind. The second thing is get your flu shot. Get your flu shot. How many people are not getting uh, their flu shot? Um, yeah. So get your flu shot, have hand hygiene, don't keep touching surfaces. I think that's 
that's one of the best advice uh, I can give. Absolutely. No, that's great, Dr. Sajad. Thank you for sharing that. And next thing here is, you know, I'm curious, I'm sure many are curious, with the research you're doing now and with, with the times we're in, what has your typical day looked like on the job? And, and even a little bit of what you want to share that you kind of do off the job to gear you up and prepare you for the entire day. And, you know, a lot of what we talk about on the podcast is, you know, the balance of life and business. We love digging deep into the career, which we already did in a way. But let's break down the day. I'd, I'd love to hear what that looks like. And I'm sure it's probably different every day, but just a typical day I'd love to hear. Yeah, so I think uh, that's interesting. Um, we'll probably wake up in the morning, have a good breakfast, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, have a chat with my parents um, and my fiance. Um, it's, it's always helpful to have that grounding of uh, social uh, support systems and family, right? Um, it, it's very important. And then after that, you know, start work. And generally the work is, uh, um, I would be conducting research and seeing uh, uh, what myths are out there, what, what sort of misinformation about COVID-19 is out there, what topic uh, can we further do more research on um, to look at further, whether it is a, a topic on immune-boosting pills and COVID-19, or if it's a topic that, oh, COVID-19 is just a hoax that was, a, that was bioweaponized by a country, right? Which of these uh, themes is spreading and which ones do we need to look at further? Um, and, and, and how do we conduct this research? What, what are people saying about it? Where is it coming from? Who is more vulnerable to this type of information? Um, how is it shared? How are people spreading it more? What are the themes used, right? So sometimes you see somebody would post a picture of a brand new car and then the caption, he'd be spreading some bogus uh, misinformation, but, but he's gotten your attention because he posted a new Ferrari, for example, right? Yes. Uh, so, so you see those, so, so trying to understand what tactics are used to spread misinformation. Um, and, and so that's, and, and then obviously talking to researchers and I also do other research apart from COVID-19 misinformation. I look at cancer prevention. So currently we are looking at how we can tailor sun safety messaging towards various populations because we do know that the sun causes. So, we, so there's a number of uh, research activities that I do. I have meetings, conferences on, on various topics and see how we can contribute to a different types of research. And then um, just apart from work, on my own time, um, I am, as you said, uh, I use social media quite effectively. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And, uh, and I, I would normally look at what, what information is there. I debunk it. Um, I have conversations with colleagues. I would, uh, you know, make sure I know what I want to post that day or the next day, which topics that I want to talk about in relation to public health in general, things that I want to highlight, um, network with some people. I also, um, not every day, but like once uh, in two weeks or once a month, I, sh I, I just try to find opportunities for myself. So if there is a place where I can uh, maybe, uh, if, if somebody is looking for a speaker on, on maybe misinformation, then I would be open to talking about that. Or if there's any researchers looking for collaborators in Canada, I mean, they're abroad maybe, they'd like to collaborate on a research. So I think it's good, even this as an advice, just for anyone listening, schedule time for finding opportunities for yourself. You know, opportunities are like buses. When one comes, another one goes, but you have to be prepared for it to come right? Yeah. It's not like, yeah, we have so much opportunity. I don't believe in this. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. No, 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 no. I don't believe in that. Um, opportunities keep coming. 
I, from my own personal experience, I've seen an opportunity came. It wasn't the right fit for me. It wasn't the right time. It was a big opportunity. And it went away. Another one came, which is the right time, the right fit for me. But you have to be prepared for, for, for getting that opportunity, right? So, and at the same time, it's not that you just sit down and wait and say, yep, I'm going to get an opportunity today. No, no, no. <laughs> there are times where you have to be out there and you have to seek the opportunity, especially when you are at the first five years of your uh, career, first five years of your career, it's good to actually seek out opportunities and, and, and just put yourself out there. And even just networking with people online, discussing, exchanging ideas. You don't network for the sake of getting a job. You don't network for the sake of getting an opportunity. You network for the sake of sharing ideas and exchanging thoughts and, and increasing your connection. Eventually, that may lead to those things, but you don't network um, just for the sake of that. Um, anyway, so these are some things that I do. I also um, uh, mentor some students. I mean, there are some young health professionals who always reach out to me and say, how have you reached there or what? So I normally give them advice all the way from how I migrated from Tanzania to Canada to basically how I ended up in public health and why I chose public health having a clinical background in the beginning. So yeah, that's, that's how, how the day is. And uh, whenever I get uh, time, probably the weekends, visit the Rockies. This is a good thing about Calgary. <laughs> your, your average day sounds like an average person's week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, you, you know what, Dr. Sajad, I want to acknowledge you, though, for being able to be so hungry and willing to fish for the right information and then ensuring that that information gets delivered to the general population. And then I understand how even for myself on a typical day when I'm researching or on a typical day when I need to be in study mode, that's what I call it when I'm, when I'm eager to learn something new. It seems to me like you need to do that every single day. And for someone like myself and others, you know, we'll, we'll pick and choose which days we do it. And I understand from my personal experience how mentally exhausting that can be. So I acknowledge you so much for being able to not only do that on a consistent basis, but also take the time to mentor others, also take the time to really just get people to understand that, you know what, you are not alone. And, and there, there, there are other ways and there are measures that you can take to make sure you can access and implement that in your life. And it, it seems like, you know, you have all that well-balanced. So I really acknowledge you for that. And even just the idea of collaboration, right, is your willingness to understand that you can't say yes to everything. Hmm. And I love that you know that at the end of the day, guess what? Opportunities are going to keep coming. And you, you found a, a really neat timeline to ensure that that gets done at a certain time and that you're willing, that you could put in 120, uh, 120 of your percent into it. I find a lot of us, especially when we're young, to your point, when you're in your uh, first year to your fifth year of, of really understanding that you're coming into this industry and, and you're not going to look back and this is what you're doing, we find that we say yes to a lot of things and we should be willing, right? Mm -hmm. But then understanding that, you know what, you'll reach a time where you don't have to say yes to everything. So, so I really like that balance that you create. For yeah, others, not, you know? not be afraid to say no. Um, have your mindset that you're more likely to say yes. But don't be afraid to say no. I mean, I realize that. So I, I, I felt felt the same mistake of saying yes quite a lot. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Now my plate is full. And, and well, I have other things to do as well. And that's when I was like, no, I think I need to pace myself more. I mean, see where I am most effective, where I add more value and just focus on that. 
Well, and, and back to the value part, right? Is like, you have a really good understanding of the intention you're setting in the beginning. You know, with what, with what you're doing in a healthcare profession, that directly is in line with any other profession, right? People in sales, people in health and fitness, individuals as lawyers, anyone who needs to consult with others, there's a reason why it's most likely normal to provide a free consultation. Because at the end of the day, like I care a lot about that. I tell each and every single one of my clients that our first call is for me to get to know you and to see if I can help you. And if I can't, I'll be honest. I'll be like, you know what? This doesn't work, but I know just the right person or I know just the right tool you need to use. Try that out. Let me know how it goes. And then people feel like they, they, they get at ease. Because a lot of people I understand in a sales-like situation or, or in a situation where you just simply DM someone and be like, let's connect. Let's go for coffee. Yes. The first thing they're thinking is, what does this person want from me? Yeah. As, as opposed to being like, hey, you know what? I love what you're doing. And I, I know you and I talked about this. Yes. Where your approach in reaching out to second floor and then us being so willing to collaborate is because it felt like, one, you're giving us something of value to learn. But two, it was your genuine interest. Of being like, hey, you know what? I feel like if we connect, let's explore. Let's see if there's a good opportunity here for, for, for me to obviously do what I am an expert in on your platform and for me to learn more about how you guys do your thing. And, and yeah. I find a lot of people worry too much about, let's say, reaching out in the first place as opposed to realizing that it's always okay to reach out to anybody because as human beings, back to your point, we want to socialize. We want to do things together. But worrying more about okay well how are we going to go about reaching out absolutely yes right no and i think you raised two important points kenny and, and i'm glad you raised them the first is when you said if somebody contacts you and you can't help them out refer 100 percent, 100 percent spot on i've seen professionals afraid that if i refer he's gonna get known he's gonna get popular he's gonna get the clients and i will not very bad way the success of 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 your success does not have is independent your success is independent of other people's success independent in fact i i i, I really don't understand when people say that oh i will not share it with this guy or i not refer it to him or the client to him or i not because i don't want him to get better either way the world we live in today if somebody wants to find him they will find him without you so First of all, in a, in a humanistic way, we should be helping each other, referring to each other. If you're not an expert on something, and even within health and research and even other industries, refer somebody to the right source. Yeah. First of all, you're creating a nice relationship with that person because you referred them. So true. Second of all, it is, it is he, that person's success does, is independent on your success. They have no relationship. And it's good for you to, as a human being, help others, right? We're all running our own race in our own time. And third, I think that is, even if you are a cynical human being and you just look at your own benefit, which is horrible, but even if you do that, it is still beneficial for you to have a friend who is successful than to have a nobody you don't even know to be successful. Like, I, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know? So, so I think we need to understand that first of all. The second thing that you said in terms of reaching out and connecting with people, you hit the spot in terms of be genuine right and when me and you connected and discussed various things there was that genuineness and one of the things that make people successful on social media back to that is being genuine it's so easy for somebody to spot that you're being fake online be yourself 
I love that. That's awesome. It's why I feel like, uh, Dr. Sajad, as much as you and me have only connected online like this, I feel like I already know you. You know, and, and that, that's a huge testament to your character and just going back to your point of once you're yourself and you're the same person that you were in a previous call or a previous appointment, like that goes a long way, right? Once you're the same person, you hit record and you hit unrecord. I mean, at the end of the day, it just it's a huge testament to, to one's character. And um, I, I love that you mentioned that. Last question I have before we go into um, the final conversation, uh, sorry, the final uh, other question that we ask every guest is, in a post-COVID world, what are your ambitions looking like? Where is Sajad going to be in three to five years time, right? I know two things are relevant from what you said. Public speaking, I know is huge and, and cancer research. With that in mind or not, uh, what, what can we look forward to seeing what you're going to be a part of in the years to come? Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, it's because normally life it takes you on a serendipitous path. And I personally, okay believe that serendipitous parts end up in success um, because you're ready to adapt whatever life throws at you. Um, when I look at it, I would like to have two things happen. One, I would like to share my knowledge um, as a public speaker on health, um, on social networking, on uh, uh, motivating young professionals to look at health, STEM fields, and public health, and basically how we can communicate better, especially in the health field, right? That's something that I'm looking at. The second is uh, um, improving and increasing my role as a leader when it comes to public health messaging and public health communication. So hopefully, um, some years down the line, I would like to eventually manage the health communication side of a hospital or an NGO or a public health organization. And so I would like to be in a leadership role in that space, sort of trying to make sure these values such as empathy, making things viral, having things that are engaged, connecting with people, collaborating, bringing stakeholders together. I, I hope to, to be able to bring all those skills and make sure that that uh, is magnified within certain health organizations or within a health sector. So that, that, that's what I hope for in the future. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you definitely put it out into existence just now. So I know when we follow your journey and when people want to connect with you, I'm very excited to see what comes out of that. And oh, uh, I see a tech. I see a TED talk in the mix. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that uh, at the end of the day, that ends up coming out too, because you, <laughs> you have so much inspiration, Sajad. And Thank you. Um, I want us to now conclude and take the time to ask you a question. We ask every single one of our guests. We talk about, you know, how to survive and how to thrive and how to keep the good vibes going in life and business. And we want you to identify what does it take for someone to be on the second floor? And what I mean by that is not necessarily just being a guest on the show, but more so, you know, what are some of the, let's say, mindset principles or some of the things you've done for yourself that have allowed you to have a second floor like mentality where you're not settling to just be on the base level, you're shooting for the stars and you're always elevating in life. So I would say the biggest thing is inner conviction from within having that driving force that I've dedicated my life towards this goal, 
I have taken on this fight and I will make sure that I, I do everything to make a change in this sector. I'll, I, I'm doing everything I can to, 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 to improve this sector and make an impact in this field, whatever it is. So for me personally, it's public health. And one way to think about it is think how you want to be remembered several years after you've died. What do you want people to remember you for? And that inner driving change is what's going to make you successful. Because you can be motivated, you can be inspired by looking at a TED talk, right? You can uh, follow the principles of focus, hard work and persistence, which are things that I live by. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that inner driving force, that thing that's constantly in your heart and mind that's telling you, I'm doing everything because this is what I want to achieve, then you're lacking. Then there's a big gaping hole in your life. So I think understanding that, coming to terms with that, and it's okay if you haven't found it or you change it a bit, it's fine. But just having that focus and end goal for your entire life and existence, that is the key. Yeah, wow. I love that answer. That was very unique. Inner conviction right there. That's super important to have. And just, just knowing that every single day you're going about whatever it is you're doing, you want to be known for that. And you genuinely feel like you're making a difference. You're not just one in the thousand or one in the tens of thousands of, hey, I'm just going to go about doing this. It gets me it gets me a paycheck. That's not what it's about. You know, that's why we can tell you have so much passion for what you do. And we love bringing on people who have such a raw passion because they know that with passion comes that level of conviction that you are ready to make a difference. They are ready to improve over time, uh, whatever it is that you're focusing on. So, um, you know, I, I feel like I need to stand up and like give you a, a standing ovation <laughs> no, 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 because so I, I really appreciate the time you've taken, Dr. Sajad. You obviously are a very busy man. And um, I'd like for you to now just let us know how can people connect with you? Where can people find you? If there's anyone else out there that after listening to this, they, they want you to do a speaking series or they just want to, you know, see what a potential mentorship or, or connection looks like with you. Where can they find you? Um, yeah, so I am available on most of the social media platforms. Um, so you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Um, if you really want to connect with me, um, I would say Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn are yep. uh, platforms that I use the most. Um, it's Sajad Fazal, um, and I'm pretty sure uh, you'll share that um, usernames. And yeah, I think I'll be more than open to assist anyone if there's any collaboration, if they want me to speak, um, or even if they want some advice or mentorship on how I got where I am, I'm more than open to sharing that. And I look forward to connecting with you. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's Dr. Sajad. If any of you now want to connect with him and uh, be inspired more of what he's doing, you can follow him on all his social media platforms. And once again, I'd like to thank you so much for your time, Dr. Sajad. That was an amazing episode. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kenny. I really appreciate it. Um, I think some of the, I, I've watched some of the episodes and they really add value. Um, and I congratulate your entire team for not only inviting guests um, that actually provide value to people um, and inspire people, but at the same time for, for creating and producing the program in such a way that it's, it's, it actually resonates and connects with the people. So great job on that. And to everyone who's watching, keep watching Second Floor Podcast. There it is. Thank you so much, Dr. Sajad. I appreciate that. That means a lot.